Welcome back to Mistakes, Missteps, and Mindsets, Stories of Failure and Resilience in Academic Research. I am Alex White, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Crystal Nunes. On today's episode of our podcast, we have David Kinahan. David is the Senior Director of Development Communications for Toronto Metropolitan University's Advancement Team. He characterizes his path here as one of strategic and unexpected failures and quittings, beginning with a pre-dentistry science stream at the University of Manitoba and including a PhD in English from the University of Western. Thank you for coming today, David. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So for our listeners, could you please describe the goals of the university's Advancement and Alumni Relations Office um, and also your responsibilities for your role? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it's, it's quite a, a simple enterprise, really. Our, our, uh, we're the fundraising arm of the university. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, so for the most part, um, we uh, create programming, uh, our engagement side creates programming for alumni and friends of the university to try to engage them in the life of the university. And the flip side of the department is uh, called development and uh, and they're really out there uh, with frontline people uh, looking to raise money to uh, enrich programming enhance the student experience different things like that and my role uh, within it uh, because I'm not a, a frontline fundraiser uh, I'm the person that arms the fundraisers with materials with collateral communications uh, um, sort of uh, materials that support the uh, the asks that they're making out in the community so proposal writing beyond that straight up comms kind of things like media releases when we're announcing gifts okay. uh, stories that celebrate uh, donors and their gifts and the impact that they have that kind of thing when you're mentioning the donations i heard a few times about the student experience is that one of the priorities right now or would you say the main priority of fundraising yeah definitely i mean we we you know access is a key priority mm-hmm. so uh, we're constantly trying to um, uh, sort of enhance the the our ability to provide scholarship and award oh, um, yes. stuff. So uh, the more that we can raise that, the, the, then the more we can invite people into uh, to the university, and the more um, you know people have access to uh, post secondary education. That's fantastic. That's yeah. such a intricate role. It's the you, you're naming things off. I'm like it sounds very almost political in a way. It's like you're you're doing all these relations, and I'm like, whoa, what? I never thought about this. I just <laughs> thought you're like, hey, can I have the money? And then they're like, uh, sure, here you go. Like, yeah, it's it's a, it is a little more nuanced than that, yeah. but it is uh, it is ultimately you know uh, not for me, but for the people that are actually on the front line, it is a business of relationships, mm-hmm, and right. you're trying to just develop those relationships to the point where they're, you're comfortable uh, asking them to invest in the university right. so, and what we're doing. So did you always envision yourself in this type of role or is this more of like a <laughs> recent development for you? No, absolutely not. I never would have envisioned it in, in, uh, in if you had spoken to my 17 year old self and asked, uh, I wouldn't have even known this, t- this, this role existed. Yeah. Uh, so no, uh, not, not at all. Um, so would you mind briefly, <laughs> we we kind of touch on it in the intro, but do you mind briefly walking us through your academic journey? Because it seems... Yeah, briefly is yeah. tricky, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll do my best. Cliff notes. Yeah, yeah, I'll do my best. Uh, so really... Um, 
I I started in science. Um, I uh, my my father had always uh, encouraged me to work for myself. So his uh, his he kept on saying, "What about a dentist? A dentist would be a terrific uh, kind of career. You're your own boss, et cetera, et cetera." Because he had always hated um, being sort of uh, uh, reporting to somebody mm-hmm. and having to account. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. I was going to ask if your father was an entrepreneur himself. He was so not. He was not. Absolutely Interesting. not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, I think he craved that sort of independence and that sort of uh, ability to be uh, in that mindset. So, uh, you know, thinking I, 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 I was a very good student in high school, uh, did all the, the calculus, the, uh, the, the math, the bio, the everything mm-hmm. that you had to do to get in. Got into science at University of Manitoba and was thinking pre-dentistry mm-hmm. uh, stream had talked to people about the program that kind of thing um, and uh, and just absolutely hated it oh no um, yeah just I mean I, I shouldn't say that I, I was I you know I came I went from being an A student uh, in high school of course which is not an unusual thing right. to being a C student in, right. in university but there was more to it than that and it was a, it was about the way that I engaged with the material I just wasn't uh, I, I, I wasn't captivated. I wasn't passionate about anything. The only course that I really got excited about was the genetics course. Okay. And, uh, and, and even at that level, you know, uh, when it came down to doing the lab work and things like that, it wasn't really. So I think I went to visit a chem prof in that sometime during the second term of that first year and said, did you like this work <laughs> and he of course did because right. it was his thing and uh and so I, I i thought heavily about it and i think over the course of the next year uh in because i did start second year science mm-hmm. and um and i started it at uh at western over the next uh year uh i i, I had to take organic chemistry right which is the you know, it's probably say a, no more. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just couldn't keep my head uh, above mm-hmm. water in that mm-hmm. course, and and uh, and ultimately dropped it. But then had to think about where I was going and what I was doing uh, in this program. Uh, that summer, uh, actually took an English course uh, as a as a had gone to visit my my folks and figured I would do something while I was there in the summer, and uh, I took an English course, and it was like. The curtains parted, you know mm. what I mean? Like the, uh, it was, I, I, I understood that there was something different going on here and I was really interested in what was going, what, what they were doing and how they were going about it. And so from there, uh, you know, had the had the little sit down with my dad to quit. Right? <laughs> the, the first sort of failure path in a way, the first, the first sort of uh, uh, formative quitting. Uh, left science, started uh, uh, an arts degree at Manitoba and got a BA, but then just trying to figure out what to do with uh, that BA, uh, I decided it just, I decided I wanted to be a creative writer, mm-hmm. really. I thought uh, that was where I was heading. And that was sort of the, the sort of the work in the discipline that I was most interested in, not whether it be short stories, novels, whatever. whatever. And if you look around at the Canadian environment, Yes. All our writers are academics, mm-hmm. right? Michael Andachi was uh, an academic. Margaret Atwood was an academic. And, and, and so that was sort of what I thought I, I should do. So I did my master's, did my PhD, and, uh, and then worked as a, as a professor of English. Mm-hmm. And really enjoyed it, really loved it. And that was sort of what, what got me through the, uh, uh, to, to, to that part of my academic career. Yeah. It's so... It's so important that you mention that you recognize that you weren't enjoying yourself because I think 
there you had a lot of pressure at home i think this is a very real experience for a lot of people become a dentist become a doctor become a brain surgeon (laughs) you know um and then they go into it thinking that that's what they have to do because that's what people want them to do and they don't enjoy it but they can't admit to themselves or they don't even know what that means right you know and they're not doing well in their classes but they're still like, but this is what I have to do. Yeah, yeah. And they don't realize that there's other options. So I think you pointing that out is very important for our listeners to hear. Because yeah, it, it's a very real thing. And and my father was very understanding about it, which was nice too, because <laughs> that that was what I was fearing, right? So I, I remember him he he would they were they he was traveling for business and ended up in Winnipeg uh in this uh one uh well, this one week and I had decided, okay, well this is where I have to have the So he had sat down for dinner at this place called the Velvet Glove in the <laughs> Western Inn, right, in Winnipeg, the fancy hotel in Winnipeg. And I, I broke the news as I as I saw it and he was like Oh, okay, good. Okay, well, that's good. As long as you know, as long as you got a right. path where you think you know you're doing. So, yeah, yeah. So I credit him for 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 making that a little bit of a softer landing, at mm-hmm. least. Yeah, I picked up on the same aspects as Alex in that um, my work here is largely tied to student resilience and learning from failure. And so I very much appreciate you saying that it wasn't just about a drop in grades mm-hmm. because that's what a lot of students experience. Especially entering first year, mm. they have that initial drop in grades. And for many, it can be a shock. They often identified as the A student in high school, and that can be a challenge to navigate. But for you, it was beyond that. It was a lack of interest, engagement, passion for the subject, which inspired you to consider a redirection. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that notion of, of uh, I, I think you, 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 you can't follow through on something or make a, or, or, or even think about making a lifetime right. out of it right. if you don't have some kind of engagement with it at a, at a, at a certain level. It may not have to be passion. You know, passion might be asking a lot, but like a level of engagement is, is, a, is, a, is a bare minimum, I think. Sure. Yeah. And the trajectory that you've taken reminds me of myself, except the opposite (laughs) in that there was the potential for writing English journalism and I instead took the switch towards the sciences. Um, In this podcast, we try to incorporate as many stories of failure as possible. And I also share my stories of failure with my students. So I'll use this opportunity to share one of my favorites that Alex has already heard. But back when I was in high school applying for undergraduate programs, I had encouragement from my parents to apply for journalism. They say, oh, you're a great writer. You should pursue this. I wasn't as keen, but I did put in that application. These were the days where results were not emailed to you. They were still sent in the mail. Mm -hmm. So you knew right away if you got into a program or not. Big envelope, you got in. It's the (laughs) welcome catalog, little envelope. Thanks for trying, better luck next year. And so for that journalism program, I got the little envelope. I did not get in to to that school, but it worked out fine. I ended up selecting another school where I was accepted. It was a science-based program, pursued that, and ended up absolutely loving it. And it is my favorite story of failure because the school that rejected me was TMU. (laughs) So it all comes full circle. I ended up here anyways, many decades later. Did you bring that up in your interview? Did you say, I actually applied here? I did not. Maybe I I should have for some more sympathy points. (laughs) That's very funny, yeah. Thank you.
so those are some really interesting stories that you've told of the more meandering pathway that mm-hmm. your um, your career has taken. Uh, but can you tell us about any other time where you have failed, whether that was in your academics or in your professional career? Yeah, I mean, it certainly uh, was uh, a lot more meandering than 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 just that. I think, uh, I mean, really the. Um, I think it's hard to, and you, you, you might know a little bit about this because, uh, you know, you're, you're tenure stream and, and you've done some of that. Um, it's very hard to leave academia. Mm. Um, and I had to ultimately make the decision that whether it was a failure or not, I had to leave um, right. because it was just not working out for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I graduated in 93 uh, with my PhD and worked for a couple of years as a sessional instructor at Western after that. My wife got the opportunity to come to Toronto. I, I uh, you know, encouraged her and said we would just, I would find my way. Don't worry about it. Let's go. Let's go. And I ended up teaching sessional at Mac uh, for a couple of years after that. There I had watched, um, or from here, I had watched a c- colleague of mine, a former PhD student who was my office mate at Western, start to teach at a... Um, the International Baccalaureate Program for high school students mm-hmm. at a private college mm-hmm. um, in the city, and uh, that that shall go unnamed, but it's a it's a very highfalutin <laughs> college, um, and uh, and so I watched him do this for about a year, and I thought mm, maybe there's a potential for me to do this, and so at a certain point. Uh, I was recruited. I was about halfway through the second term at Mac, and I was recruited and asked if I wanted to do uh, lead the IB program at uh, at a, a school in North Toronto, um, a private school, and uh, and so I said yes. I I decided that would be my sort of goodbye to academia, mm-hmm. and I would leave the university because it was ninety three. Well, by then point, it was ninety six. There were just no tenure track positions mm. in Canada whatsoever. It was the um, Mike Harris government years, yep. right. and it was just a decimation right. of the academy generally across the board. I think over the course of the three or four years that I was working sessional, there was there were two jobs that I could apply for. Wow. One was in the at the University of Northern British Columbia okay. uh, in, Fort, in Fort McMurray, and I thought, and I'm excited to be applying to this. Well, wait a minute, <laughs> right. yeah, you know. Uh, so um, so I jumped uh, jumped ship, wrote a book. Uh, with a hey. colleague of mine uh, that was a sort of a farewell to academia uh, called uh, Make Your Mark. And it was uh, how to get ahead in university without really uh, working harder, but just by <laughs> playing the game better with the professors, angling that that subjective mark and getting, you know, what might be a B plus turned into an A minus or something <laughs> like that. Anyway, so that was our farewell to academia and my farewell to academia. Sadly, However, I hated teaching high school. I loved, I loved teaching at the university level. My specialty was Renaissance non-dramatic poetry. So you can see how specialized I I actually was. But I was teaching Shakespeare. I was teaching uh, Renaissance courses. I was teaching general introductory lit courses. Loved doing it. I loved running with the students and being able to discover things while you're standing at the front of the classroom, even though, and you're just feeding off each other and Mm -hmm. you're running. There was none of that possible at, uh, at the high school level. Plus, uh, I had parents to deal with all of a sudden and parents oh, no. <laughs> who were paying a lot of money mm-hmm. and expecting that, that there would be some, you know, some quid pro quo there as right. well. Um, so that, that was, a, that was a, a kind of an eye opener for me. Uh, and I also realized, I think, that you had to, uh, with, with the university teaching, you have to love your discipline. 
with high school teaching, you have to love the students. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really <laughs> love the students. <laughs> not that, you know, not yeah. that I ate in them or anything, but it was just not, not it was, wasn't right for me. So again, a strategic quit uh, or a failure, uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, mm. I, I, I took a parental leave when my daughter was born and started writing like mad thinking that I would probably like could see myself writing in film uh, or in film criticism and things like that. So I started as the uh, free, a freelance um, film reviewer for Toronto Life. Oh, that's uh, interesting. That's so I started doing work with TIFF a lot and worked uh, there for a summer on contract wow. as their uh, one of their writers. Um, and so it morphed into a kind of a, a freelance. Some people asked me, you know, well, if you're doing this, can you also do some ad copy and, you know, do, do things like that? And so I started to pick up different writing projects here and there and it turned out to be something that I quite liked then a colleague of mine who I also had done a um, who had gone to grad school with at Western called me and said um, he had he had left academia as well he was the guy that I co-wrote the book with Harold Heft he was working in uh, fundraising uh, at that time he said the AGO is looking for a writer for their campaign would you be interested uh, mm. in doing some writing regard uh, connected to fundraising and that was that was that that was that chapter. So amazing! That's, yeah, that's, it is meandering. That, that is uh, meandering. Yeah, yeah. It is meandering. Crystal, you don't have to deal with anyone's parents, do you? <laughs> I do not. You've never no. gotten an email from a parent. That's good. That's fortunate. Myself, no. I've heard a lot of. Um, a lot of people I know who go into teaching, they say, yeah, you, you really do have to like the kids. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because if you don't have an investment in those kids, you don't want to deal with their parents. No, absolutely. <laughs> you say failure and then you say strategic quitting. <laughs> so is that... The, our next question is how do you respond to that failure but but you phrase it as strategic quitting that's very interesting what makes you phrase it that way oh what, it's probably denial, denial. Uh, <laughs> no uh, I, I think I think really I think I think if you do a PhD yeah. and you're not working as an academic, mm -hmm. it's almost impossible not to see that as a failure. Mm -hmm. um, it is it is in that regard a failure. And, and I mean, the sad thing about the reality of my graduation year was uh, that one out of our cohort uh, ended up teaching in the university level wow. and getting a tenure track position. So, uh, it, you know, it, it was just that was the course. Almost everybody had to bail from from academia um, through that period and and for years afterward and I'm hoping it's improved now but frankly I, I you know I don't know I think we're still probably graduating a lot more PhDs than there is room to accommodate um, and in fact one of my my thesis supervisor uh, invited me to U of T she ended up at U of T um, uh, to speak to her graduate students about about sort of uh, coming out of uh, academia and finding different ways to to use a, a PhD in literature, yeah. but but there's a responsibility in the academy too, um, yeah. I think to to its students. I've had a conversation with some colleagues of mine where we've noticed a trend amongst many incoming graduate students where they are selecting programs or selecting labs based on available funding or salary potential post graduation, and not so much based on say passion or interest. Mm. And I do understand where they're coming from in today's economic climate there are such challenges that still exist if you're graduating with a PhD and finding 
what your next move will be yeah. at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you, if you, if, if I was uh, back in, what was it, 1988, when I was deciding what I was going to do my PhD and would I really pick a dead white man from the, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, from the, 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 the 17th century. Um, I, I mean, the, the thing was that that is what I, I was passionate about. I had read this poem, this bizarre thing called the fairy queen, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's a book stop of a, of a poem and or a doorstop of a poem and it's just uh the most bizarre thing in the world and i was i was fascinated and intrigued and wanted to spend a few years in there and uh i say strategic quitting i say failure but at the same time i'm so glad that i had the opportunity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to do that and to push my mind in those directions and in those corners yeah. uh, at that time like how often do you get a chance or and, and you get paid because you you know you get an ra and i had a an OG and different things oh, yeah. like that and uh, and you're getting you're getting paid to read for a year you know just to read like to embed yourself in the context of that environment and 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 go so I, I regret the way that it turned out I probably would have been I think very happy as a prof although I I don't know um, <laughs> you know I, I, I see a lot of uh, of the the downside of it too but, uh, but at the same time I'm really glad that I, I had the opportunity to do what I did so I don't regret doing the PhD so how did these perceived failures shape your current career trajectory and what did you learn from them? Um, well, I'll start with what I learned from them because I think in a way that that that's kind of the key. I kind of learned, uh, I, I mean, I'm a big Milan Kundera fan, so, you know, they're going to come to the unbearable lightness of being. But I learned, I think, that being is kind of light, that what we think of as our identity uh, doesn't really reside in a job or a project uh, and that the things we're good at or enjoy can find kind of multiple ways to express themselves in our lives. And, and we can discover things along the way, new things that we're good at or we're, we're, you know, we're interested in along the way. So looking at your, your you know, sort of 24-year-old self or your 18-year-old self and thinking uh, you have to decide and you have to be this fixed thing and, and my identity all rests in, in this kind of, uh, of uh, academic uh, trajectory um, is 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 to be put yourself under a tremendous amount of pressure, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's necessarily due pressure. Yeah, so. I love that messaging, and it kind of ties back into what I mentioned earlier of students entering undergraduate degrees, and they might experience that grade drop. A lot of them identify as their grades exactly as I am the A mm-hmm. student whether that is an internal pressure or it can be external. Uh, myself growing up, I had both. Um, But there was that repeated messaging of, oh, you'll be fine. You always get A's or you'll do just fine on that test. Don't worry about it. You're a strong student. And so there is this pressure that is built and also internalizes my identity in that way. Right. Yeah. I I still get that now by Mm. like my uh, my coworkers, um, not you, but (laughs) at my other job where I'm like, I'm really stressed out about an exam. And I think they know I do well in school. I don't do amazing. They know I do well. And so anytime I'm like, I need to go, I need to get cut early. Like I need to go study for my exam or like I have an assignment due tomorrow and I'm really stressed out. They're like, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. You're going to be fine. You you always do well. You always do well. And then the worst part is when I do well, despite how stressed out I was, they're like, see, I told you. See, I told you. And it's like, no. (laughs) Self-fulfilling. You don't understand because sometimes I actually do mess up. And it's, it does that. Those are the times where it's like, whoa, 
it's not I'm, and then you get that imposter syndrome right. kicking in where you're like maybe I've been fooling everyone <laughs> <laughs> I've been fooling my profs I've been fooling my TAs I've been fooling my friends and my family and it's like no you know we we make we, we make mistakes but people do put that pressure on you and they and they don't maybe don't even mean to do it you mm-hmm. know it can be indirect sometimes which is Mm-hmm. I think some might have thought they were being complimentary. Yeah. In, yeah. In, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it can also, I think in your case as well, apply to your major. Um, I am going to medical school or dentistry school right. or whatever mm-hmm. it is and identifying with that, which I think it's great to have goals, but it's also important to be open to other opportunities mm-hmm. around you. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm very, I consider myself to be, you know, really fortunate in, in where I ended up and how I ended up, because in some way, I got to come back to academia uh, sure, as well, yeah. right? And that, that certainly was not foreseen. Right. Uh, right. I, I, and I wasn't aiming uh, in that sense to come back. I had been um, when this job came up. I had been really unhappy uh, in a in a in a uh, straight up communications role. It was just like it was not uh, connected mm. to fundraising in any way, but it was just uh, straight up comms and um, had a, a kind of a toxic work relationship. And so this notion of of the return to academia that also allowed me to bring skills that I had acquired in a different portion of my life in, mm. as a, uh, in writing for fundraising uh, was was just kind of an amazing coming together. So it actually brought together a, a piece, uh, a, a couple pieces of my life that I hadn't kind of sure. uh, expected. Absolutely. You clearly have a lot of advice. Actually, uh, well, I was going to say I'm going to I'm going to say <laughs> what advice do you have for undergraduate students facing challenges, and where do they turn for, or where do they turn to for support? But you have you have a lot of advice. Uh, I don't. Well, I think you. I think you can. I mean, I do think you should use the. the we we have. Tr- you know, we're fortunate at TMU. We have a terrific uh, counseling. We have mm-hmm. peer support. We have mm-hmm. all kinds of support structures and services in place that uh, that our students uh, can can avail themselves of. We're even you know working on building this uh, student well being center at, mm-hmm. at Gould, uh, which we're raising money for, by the way. Yes. Um, Donate. But uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but so so I. I really do encourage you to use the resources on campus, and but but also talk to people. Um, and and the advice I have is is try to carry it lightly. Um, that's that's really what it is. It's it, I mean I know it feels like you you feel like you're deciding your life at this moment, but I can tell you from experience that your life will take all kinds of turns before mm-hmm. you uh, are, you know, and you may never arrive at the the one thing. But um, but but uh, you 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 know uh, don't don't try to put it all uh, uh, on yourself at, at that uh, at that particular moment in your life. I think you've touched on our final question here, uh, but we see so many students put so much pressure on themselves or feel overwhelmed by options as they reach the end of the safety of their undergraduate degree. So do you have any final words for those feeling uncertain or overwhelmed about their career plans? Yeah, join the club. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't end, does it? No, it doesn't end. So, I mean, you know, you you, you learn, I'm 60 now, so I, I've learned to carry it differently and, and deal with it differently. But it's it's still, you still wake up feeling the same person and the same pressures and the same uh, kinds of, uh, of uh, identity crises that, that you're going through when you're 20. Certainly. And I tell my students all the time that 
where I am now is not where I ever imagined I would be. I feel very lucky to be here, but it's not the career path I ever imagined for myself. I went into my undergraduate degree thinking meteorologist, and then that switched to geologist. I went to grad school because I love school and just wanted to stay in that environment. I was considering working for conservation authorities or environmental consulting companies. During grad school, fell in love with teaching and then just dove into that post-graduation of my PhD. So if you had asked me even five, six years ago, if this is where I imagined I'd be absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. you still have a lot to discover about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost like Remember that interview question that was like, where where would you see yourself in five years? I feel like that needs to be done away with because it, it makes you think that you can actually plan five years ahead. But life happens. For example, when we had the pandemic, nobody thought that they'd be like mm-hmm. graduating from high school online. That wasn't part of the five year plan. Things happen. Things come up and you do have to sort of be willing to, I guess, bend with mm-hmm. the experience. Not break, but bend. Definitely be flexible. All right. So is there anything else you want to shout out today before you leave us? Any, any, well, besides the mental, the well-being? The Student student Well-Being Center. Can you just tell us about that really quickly? I would love to hear about that. Well-Being Center, you know how a lot of our uh, resources like um, counseling, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, academic accommodation services, things like that are all in the basements in various buildings Mm -hmm. across campus? So depressing. Soon, yeah, (laughs) soon we're going to have this beautiful... Uh, sort of integrated building where all of those supports will be in one place where um, we'll have a magnificent referral system so you can get the right kind of help you need at the right moment. Um, We'll also have, you know, upstream sort of uh, uh, services, preventive preventative services, different things like that. So everything will be in this this center, which will be uh, uh, quite, quite terrific for everybody. And it puts wellness and well-being and the students' well-being right at the center of campus, literally and figuratively. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I had not heard about that. That is fantastic. No, we're not the the fundraising (laughs) demographic here. You've got to be reading your uh, Toronto Met today. My Toronto Met today. (laughs) Um, I love that. And I'm very, I'm thrilled that that is something that we are putting together. Thank you, Dr. Kinahan, so much for joining us today and sharing your stories of failure that I appreciate how you revitalize them to be strategic and to shape them as opportunities. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that as well. Thank you. Thank you. And that is a wrap on another episode of Mistakes, Missteps and Mindsets. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Next week, we have on Dr. Katerina Matursky from the Faculty of Nursing to talk about her approach to failure in the classroom, her intersectional approach to nursing, and about how she finally made her parents proud after all of these years. As always, we would like to extend our thanks to the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council for helping to make this podcast a reality, as well as our host, Toronto Metropolitan University. Finally, we would like to thank Kyle Andrews for putting together our wonderful theme music. And most importantly, we want to thank you for listening. And I can't wait for you to come fail with us next week. See you then. Bye.